Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Truth, Love, and Peace, episode th- lucky number 13. <laughs> lucky number 13. <coughs> so the last thing to fire up is this Facebook Live. Dun, 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 dun. Truth, Love, and Peace. <coughs> 13. That other cough you hear in the background is Mr. Jason Switzer. Thank you so much for joining us, Jason. Thank you for having me. And we are tagging you in the Facebook Live as we speak. Jason Switzer. Oh, it didn't come up. We must not be friends yet, or not friends enough. Or uh-huh. not. Anyway. Uh, so. I have a. 27 people that have sent me friend requests and I haven't vetted all of them yet. I know what that's like. Dun 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 dun! Facebook Live. There we go. There's both of us. Kind of crooked. As it should be. Just in case. (laughs) And... Status update, YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and a podcast, all at the same time. Truth, love, and peace. Welcome to it. Um, How do we even live at this speed? Yeah, I don't even know, man. I don't know. I tell you, uh, sometimes just sitting on the toilet's boring as hell these days. Just too much going on. I try too to do it at least on. once a week. What, be bored or sit on the toilet? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I take my phone in there with me, but <laughs> yeah. I find it, it, it get, you know, anything less than once a week gets a little painful. No, I, I try to be bored sometimes. Uh, it's good for you. It's good for you to be bored. Just, uh, and people talk about unplugging and whatnot. It's, uh, that's a dumb way to put it, in my opinion. But uh, Have you seen this bullshit? What is that? That is a... Big ass airplane. <laughs> what is that nonsense? Uh, oh, please try broadcasting on the latest desktop version of Chrome or Firefox. <laughs> is that me? Seems like it's your, uh, oh. your avenue of expertise. Oh, who knows what this nonsense I'm, is. Uh, I'm super good at looking at pictures of scary monster machines. Yeah, right. Uh, Although I bet it has a very diminutive horn. <laughs> <laughs> That actually is kind of a funny thing. Uh, I was uh, <laughs> was in Poland last. We uh, we were sort of driving around the countryside because that's what we do from time to time. Mm-hmm. And we ended up at a uh, military appreciation like festival. Military appreciation festival in Poland. What does that yeah. look like? Uh, horrifying. To be perfectly honest. Like it's uh, you can you can see like the legacy of the Soviet army. Like, in just their traditions and how they do stuff. Like, there's a lot of lock-stepping. Like, yeah. Uh, like That's old school. Over, like, well, like, when you see, you know, military uh, demonstrations over here, they, they have a different way of doing them. Like, they show off the stuff, the soldiers are around. And these guys weren't any different, except mm-hmm. for that they, uh, they would, you know, they had their lockstep, the, everything looked a little different. And you could see the legacy of the of the Red Army in them that we just don't have because obviously we were not that. Uh, but the uh, the funniest bit was they had the tanks out and they were giving children rides on the tanks. <laughs> That's great. 
Now, we got there when they were finished, so we couldn't get a tank ride. Oh. I know. It's horrible. Uh, now, of course, uh, according to uh, the uh, the office over by the mall, you can have a tank ride anytime you want. You just have to do it for four years. <laughs> yeah. Sign up. But uh, they got there. They were moving the tanks out. And uh, the tank was it was backing up. And there's people all over the place. And they're eating, like, giant turkey legs. This is like a Renaissance festival, but with real guns. <laughs> And so they looked the bomb unit out. They were showing like all the little I, all the different IEDs that they had found, and like how they were built and stuff like that. And wow, you know, it was uh, it was terrifying. Uh, it was it was on one level hilarious because of how normal the bomb squad guy was acting when he's showing us these things that are just the the height of impro- uh, of improvising. Like one of them was made out of uh, one of them was made out of a rotary telephone. <clears throat> Winging a prayer. Yeah. There's literally a tank shell, like a giant bullet, and a rotary telephone. Goodness gracious. Among other things that he wouldn't tell me about, because apparently they're not supposed to tell you exactly how to build them. Right, right. We'd hate to misinform anybody. Yeah. Or over-inform somebody. Isn't that sad? But, uh... So there's all this stuff going on, and and people are just milling around, and they're they're eating snacks and and shit like that, and... And uh, the tanks, they're trying to move them out, so the tank's backing up. And there's a bunch of people standing in the way, and the guy's trying to drive the tank. And all of a sudden, you just hear, meep, meep. And we're all looking around, like, what the hell is that? And meep, meep. That's the tank. <laughs> this is the most diminutive and, like, that's not what a tank sounds like. <laughs> tanks have, like, an air horn. Like, at least a Vuvuzela, you know? <laughs> Hell no, man. That's, that's what happens when Volkswagen makes your tank. Oh, no, it's... Meep, meep. As if to go like, excuse me. Excuse me. Death machine. Just a death machine. <laughs> oh, it was great. Oh, it just made me so happy. I was walking past the, uh, the guns, and I never felt more American than walking past the military, the Polish military's gun demonstration. I'm looking, and uh, and it says, you know, they were using a, a, a version of the AK-47, and they also had a version of the M- uh, M-16, mm-hmm. and uh, it was, and they said, well, you know, this one is, a, it's a 223, it's a, it's a semi-automatic, we use it for this, and oh, I have one of those, and they're looking at me like, what, and I was like, oh, no, I, I, I'm from the United States. <laughs> <laughs> And, Don't worry, it's okay. It's and the allowed. dude nods. <laughs> Just like, well, of course you are. <laughs> and of course you do. Damn Americans. <laughs> uh, we are... Uh, we are in equal measure fascinating and terrifying for the rest of the world. We are. We are. <laughs> and that ties back into the conversation that we were having before I fired up the cameras, which I wanted to get back to. You were talking about uh, human origins... Oh, and, yeah. and the fact that we're still warmongering little monkeys uh, definitely plays into, um, you were talking about the beginnings of when people started uh, being nice to each other and, and politics, basically lying to each other. The inception of the way I heard it was, this is when the invention of lying gets your face. Well, I mean, So catch was... everybody up. So the, it was a documentary I was watching on the internet uh, about... Uh, human origins called uh, the uh, called first man, and it was kind of a bullet point history of pre-human to Homo erectus, 
and kind of hitting the, oh, well, this is where we got, you know, this is when we started to face each other while we were, you know, mating. And this is where we uh, realized that, you know, mating pairs could last for longer than it takes to finish mating. And this is when we discovered, you know, politics and how to make alliances and things like that and, and so on and so forth. And it goes through a couple of different, like, highlight species that, you know, are direct to, you know, as best we know right now, mm -hmm. like from 25 million years ago up until like 5 million years ago. And uh, there's a, a lot of that sort of, you know, like when we developed language, when we got a clear white to our eye. When did that is, happen? Uh, that was 18 million years ago, I think, that we got color differentiation. Uh, you mean in the, the whites of our eyes? Or when we started being able to see more colors? Are we talking about rods and no, no, colors? No, no, no. We're talking about I can see your pupil dilate or I can see your pupil, you know. So the eyes. So I can look at you and I can start to infer communicative information from your facial expression from your eye, things like that. Right, right. Oh, hey. You're thank you best. so much, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, Steve. I said Steve. No, Steve, please. Oh, thank Steve. you, Steve. Steve it is. Appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, yeah, plug-wise, we are at uh, the Days Inn on Paula Fox and Cervantes, sitting above Back Porch Comedy, and uh, or sitting above the Back Porch Bar and Grill, where every Tuesdays we have Back Porch Open Mic, and tonight we have the Back Porch Feature, followed by the... 9 p.m. or the 11 p.m. rated R show, Back Porch Comedy, of which you are one of the founders. Yes. And if you'd like, we can we can segue into that, or we can come back, we can put a pin in that, and finish talking about the human origins. Uh, which ones you want to take let's first? Put, let's put a pin in that. Okay. Uh, but uh, the uh, this uh, like or this documentary really focused on like communication. Yeah. It focused on, that's why I was saying that it was so apropos mm -hmm. to your podcast is it said, you know, the intro to it was, you know, over time, you know, when did, you know, what became the first man? How did we get there? When did we discover, you know, these are the, the animals that moved up to us. They're the ones who discovered, and I think what it was is they said, uh, they, uh, they discovered power, they discovered tools. They discovered love, hmm. and war was in there somewhere too. It was, it was a very like <laughs> a sentimental version of oh, yes. Law. <laughs> <laughs> it's Which, pretty, you it's know, Darwin good. is a big advocate for compassion, and uh, and that compassion is a very important part of uh, evolution uh, from oh. a from a survival standpoint. In that. You know, we have to be cared for. You know, as yeah. a species, as children, we have to care well, for. Uh, I'm very much a hobbyist when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, I have a, a friend who is a uh, uh, who's a biologist. Now he's well, now he's a medical doctor because <laughs> he's one of those people that just makes you hate him for his success a little oh, bit. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, he um, he's got a, a PhD in microbiology and genetics, and uh, now he's a, a medical doctor. Uh, he went and got an MD because uh, his ex-wife wasn't happy at the research facility they were working at. I'm oversimplifying that uh, very much. But he turned me on to Richard Dawkins' pre-angry mm -hmm. atheism work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Not that I'm not a huge fan of angry atheist Dawkins, uh, but I read The Selfish Gene and, and a couple of other things. And uh, The Selfish Gene has like the worst reputation of any book because mm -hmm. uh, racists got a hold of it. And as we all know, racists ruin everything. Yeah, that's what happened to Marxism too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's kinship selection. And it was mm -hmm. Dawkins that really figured that out, or I shouldn't say, I, like, again, a hobbyist in this. Uh, to my knowledge, Dawkins was the one to articulate that in the way that he did the first time. That's what really made him kind of famous was uh, he figured out that uh, monkeys will uh, help each other in order to benefit themselves, which, when you say it like that... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you wouldn't think. But that's something that that I came in, in contact with early on. One of the reasons that, that I got to Truth, Love, and Peace was uh, philosophically because... It is the ideal version of what I have observed going on. And my observations are the observations of other really smart people too. But, uh, but for those exact same reasons that at some point uh, other animals lie to each other. You know, we, we see, can see examples of that. Monkeys lie mm -hmm. to, to other monkeys for all kinds of reasons. And even Darwin laid out a very early version of uh, his version was the sperm cells enter the lungs via the bloodstream and acquire this knowledge and then are transported back to the scrotum and then somehow I don't DNA remember that part of the origins of man. Right, right. It's the lesser known version. <laughs> yeah, because most people only know the, the neo-Darwin and Darwin version of survival of the fittest, which is not really, it's there, but it wasn't the most important part because Darwin realized that we're these soft, squishy little things that can't survive in nature, and so without the team and this cooperation and, and the progeneration of knowledge, that we're just not anything special. And so, there's a huge chunk of the origin of species that talks specifically about how we um, we're a cooperative uh, kind of kind of monkey, which makes good sense. And and then when you get into things like like us being able to lie and uh, and be persuasive, to me, lying is just the the flint mapping version of a tool. Like communication has become this vast tool that we use to interact with the world. And Sorry, I'm obsessed yeah, with no. motorcycles. What kind is that? Uh, oh God, that Street was... Street bikes? Uh, it sounded fast. I don't know shit about motorcycles. Uh, that was probably about 15 that just went by. Looked like 600 sport bikes. Uh, looked like there were a couple of cruisers in there too. There's a few groups that oh, ride yeah. uh, in the area. But, uh, yeah, they must have a thing. Oh, there was, yeah, there was a, they were going to do a thing at Coyotes. I saw it on Facebook. It's uh, Coyotes. It's a bar up by the mall. Oh, I got you. Yeah, they, they meet up there, and they ride around, ride around and uh, then, then they were supposed to go downtown. That was the plan. <laughs> the plan. But um, they always end up downtown. There's a new brewery downtown that I heard the name of that I haven't been yet. But I haven't been there yet either. Uh, they uh, Pensacola actually just got a uh, write-up in another national publication. Really? For? Yeah. Uh, for uh, just our growing downtown and restaurants and things like that that are going there. Uh, Union Public House Good. got an award. By the way, if you haven't gone to Union Public House, you don't love yourself. Uh, <laughs> there's a few other places that are uh, uh, that are down there. Five and a half bar, things like that, that, that all got... Uh, good write-ups and, and so on but uh, I should go be social yeah. I don't make it down there enough I, I just like to eat uh, <laughs> me too but, uh, <laughs> that's a good reason to go that's a good reason to go uh, I don't I, 
I don't know if, if lying is really the. I think lying is a uh, is an extreme uh, sort of thing that that came out of another very important human trait that I think is the actual survival trait, which is bullshitting. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do uh, tell. <laughs> Go on. So, uh, lying implies that you care what the truth is, because you're trying yeah. actively to obfuscate it. Yeah. Uh, now that will probably help you, uh, and it definitely happens a lot. Mm-hmm. But if it, but it, it's sort of an offshoot of convincing, mm-hmm. and that's why I say bullshitting is probably the real survival tool. Because at some point, somebody had to go, "Yeah, I totally know, this will work." While everyone, because they they couldn't do it on their own, right? Uh, like now, I don't think. Then the way I read all this other stuff is I don't think we survived through the eons. I don't think we got to where we are now because we were cooperative. I think we, because we had the capability to be cooperative. Mm-hmm. We can also go by ourselves. There are people you know who live alone for months, years, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and so on. I almost said generations and thought, don't say that. That's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't I want gonna. <laughs> But aren't those people the exception? I don't know if they're the exception. I don't think of it as a rule exception kind of thing. I think of it as a capability. Just a behavior. Um, Again, uh, the same thing is like you can choose to be a vegan. You can choose to eat nothing but meat. Mm -hmm. Chances are you'll still live long enough to make a baby. And that's what keeps us going. The fact that we can do pretty much anything at any time. Mm -hmm. We're wild cards. When it comes to creatures, like we have specialized in pretty much one thing, which is not specializing. And so, back to bullshitting, at some point, someone had to go, let's all go do this. And some conservative monkey went, no, 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 we always did it this way, we know this works. Mm-hmm. And then that guy had to get everybody else on board and go, no, 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 but I totally know this will work, when he did not know it would work. <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so that you know, that was sort of the rise of, of the populist, you know, the, the rise of, mm-hmm. the, of the bullshitter, mm-hmm. the guy who could say, no, 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 I know there's food over there. I don't know if there's any food over there. Be ready to run. <laughs> like, <laughs> this could go wrong. This could go wrong. That reminds me of, like, the chimpanzee uh, border patrol parties. Have you seen this? Uh, I've seen chimpanzees run their border territory. The chimpanzees murder each other. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they also get together kill any other monkeys. Parties. Oh, yeah. They're they're ravenous. They're <laughs> ravenous. Uh, like even pelicans, even pelicans eat, eat living things. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if if we've gotten far enough away from the monkey BS. I um, I think you're right in that the the means of persuasion weren't weren't always real, weren't always evil. Like there's a part of rhetoric and there's a part of persuasion that is that is just greedy and just a little douchey, <laughs> but it's not quite evil. Um, I, think I think there is the other part I too. I think that's the line where humanity sits though, is in that Yeah, we're still working part. on it. We're still working, <laughs> yeah, for all of our technology, and as good as we are, we are still these douchey little monkeys they can't be nice to each other all the time. So there, there's a fun thing. Our two closest cousins today are chimpanzees and bonobos. Yeah, I love the bonobo part. Chimpanzees yeah. are horrifyingly violent. Yeah. 
basically all the chimpanzees time. are the ones that rip people's faces off yeah. for not bringing everybody birthday cake. Yeah, and they typically go for the genitals first. Animals. Bonobos. Also tend to go for the genitals first. Yeah, most animals do. But in a very different way. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Because, like dolphins, uh, they... They're fuckers. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. They do, and they're... uh, That's why when I hear theories about humans crossbreeding, you know, within different genuses of the same... Oh, like the Denosovian and the uh, yeah, Neanderthals and all that good stuff. Not even close to a stretch. Like, of course they did. uh, Oh, what was the... There was the uh, the Asian man, too, the giant, and then there was the little guy, the... uh, The the dwarf humans from that one island. That's uh, Florenzis. Yeah. And then the... Well, Gigantopithecus is the No, 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 this is a different guy. This, you're talking about... This is a different guy. This is post-Gigantopithecus. Well... This is contemporary Terry. This is that was like forty thousand years ago. So post Gigantopithecus gets us. This is in line. Uh, this is the same time as uh, Florensis, uh, Denosovian, Neanderthalensis, uh, and uh, Sapien. So this would have been. And they weren't giants like forty 40, feet 000. tall. I mean, they weren't the well, them. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we've got some convincing evidence. Yeah, we only found the really tiny giants. <laughs> no, no we've, we've, we've found some big ones. We've found some big folks. Yeah, like but, 30 feet tall, maybe not. But we found some bodies that were 10 and 12 feet tall. We found some, some good evidence of that. Have you seen the thing that Smithsonian, the, all the research that the Smithsonian took these things out of New Mexico? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen it. Um, I want there to be giants. I, I want know. there to be old Look, school giants. I, I want there to be magic in the world as much as anyone else. But Because <laughs> uh, that would be awesome. It would be. It would I, be. And here's the thing about uh, about the skepticism, atheism, all that kind of stuff that, that I think people kind of get on. Like, you just don't believe there's anything. Like, no, no, it's not that. Well, yeah, okay, I don't, don't believe it. Uh, you are right there. But it's not that I don't want to. Right. It's just <laughs> how magic can a monkey be. Yeah. Like, really? Bigfoot can just get out of the way of cameras and, like, phase shift out of, out saw, of the lens. Like, come on, there's got to be a lot. I saw the funniest thing. Uh, I don't even remember where it was from, but it made me laugh for days. It was, uh, it was this shower thought kind of thing. Is It was, uh, what if the camera's fine and Bigfoot's just out of focus? <laughs> All the time. He's just blurry. He's just blurry. He's just blurry. He's just that hot. He's got that good of a stash. Or... And it sent me down this crazy rabbit hole of thought, and I started looking at conspiracy theory videos again, which is one of my favorite things in the world to do, because mm-hmm. it's the best science fiction ever. Ever, ever. It's the tabloids on YouTube. <laughs> but I thought, uh, well, hold on, maybe he is just blurry. Well, how could something in reality be blurry in and of itself? Mm-hmm. That's just dumb. That's not how optics work. Unless it's not all here. Well, how could it not be all here? It's like parallel universes. There you go. That's why we can't find it. It just walks in between. It's a it's a monkey from another time or another dimension or something like that. And every so often, we can just kind of see one. We get a we glimpse. Can't, yeah, but we can't see all the way through. It's like uh, it's like looking it's like looking out the window, but the curtains are still closed. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's that's it's probably a very soft silhouette. Yeah, it's it's probably not what it is, but yeah, probably. probably. <laughs> I I think that that's just the leftover of a really good story because we have the evidence that puts. Uh, Gigantopithecus in uh, you know Siberia, the Bering Land Strait area, forty thousand years ago, yeah. which is right in there with people were walking around having conversations. 
Like we've got K, we've got identify cave art that, that that's yeah. that old. Um, well, also, I think the, the uh, interbreeding thing comes with the Neanderthals and the the other species. I think that definitely happened though, and that's oh, what I no, think it absolutely did. Twenty three and yeah. me figured that shit out. Yeah, for sure. Like, and so like like Homo florenzis, the little short guy, just came across an eight foot guy and thought, oh god, he's ten stories tall. And so it was just a matter of perspective. But somewhere in there, somebody yeah. was a giant in somebody's opinion. Well, and that's probably because that giant okay, stole his we've girlfriend. Been, we've been obsessed with giants forever, because to a certain extent, we just assume a giant's going to steal our girlfriend. <laughs> that's just a monkey thing. <laughs> that's just an insecurity. It's a monkey insecurity. It's yeah. a bonobo insecurity. That's, you know... That's why that's why the Napoleon complex exists because it's, it's an angry little guy who's just gonna go for like hit back first. I yeah. know you're gonna take my girlfriend and I know you're gonna take my hamburger and I don't want you to take either of those things. I don't right. want your hamburger. Your hamburger is wait. You want my hamburger? <laughs> you know. And so yeah, I guess. But we're obsessed with giants. We are. We are. The Bible's full of them. Oh, they're rarely good guys. Rarely. <laughs> rarely. Unless you get back to, uh, like, Enoch. Uh, Even then, I seem to remember that being such a somewhat flawed character. Uh, yeah, because he was probably an alien. Or he was one of the Nephilim. And this is, what, this is what I enjoy about this part of history, is when you start looking at all these crazy stories that, that have come down throughout the ages and trying to figure out where they overlap reasonably... Mm -hmm. You know, the Joseph Campbell theory that every myth starts with a kernel of truth. Like, there's a nugget of some information in there somewhere. And so trying to figure out... There was a question, where there's they a very real question that needed an answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was an explanation. Like, how do we go about explaining these things? And that's one of the reasons that, uh, that the whole philosophy of truth, love, and peace, that's where that comes from, is because you take these nuggets of truth and then figure out how many ways can you understand that from how many different perspectives in the hopes that you can maybe understand the truth one day. Like that's kind of the description of the journey. Thoughts? Uh, I worry about imbuing mythology with that much power. Really? Yeah, because uh, it distilled down to its necessity, mm -hmm. the the boogeyman and heaven come from the same place. Right. The, the same thing is being attempted with both of those, one through fear, the other through mm -hmm. uh, desire. Mm -hmm. uh, and to have a sword that sharp on both edges, mm -hmm. I think is incredibly terrifying. Uh, I think so too. The fact that somebody, you know, up on a mountain and lightning strikes and they go, fuck, <laughs> you know, and then we have Zeus and Perun and, and Odin and, and all these, you know, and all these giants who, for the most part, are petulant dicks like 90% of the time. Most of the time. Most of the time. Ultimate power corrupts, yeah. right? Well, and also, you can get, you get, like, the god of wisdom is never the god of fire. Yeah. Like, have you noticed that? Yeah. Doth, <laughs> that would be, let's see, Doth and Apollo? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, I don't know if there was a god of fire in the Greek tradition. Would have been Mercury. Mm, he was the sun god. Oh yeah, that's true. So, but the well, fire was was a titan. 
He was a he was yeah. a lesser deity. He had the forge inside the mountain, Man, inside the need, volcano. We need my phone, my phone friend brother. He knows mythology way better than I do. So who, yeah, who would it be? Like uh, Ra would be the sun god from the Egyptian standpoint. Yeah. Mercury. But see, gonna, it's, it's chaotic, yeah, anyway, anyway. chaotic elements yeah. don't get intellectual deities. Usually not. Usually not. And intellectual elements don't generally get chaotic mm-hmm. personality deities. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Apollo is a pretty even keel guy in most of the stories. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, they all were subject to human emotion, which is interesting that that's, that died off at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was all Balron was maybe his name a Norse god he's the one who uh, who stuck his hand in the mouth of the Fenris wolf he's the one handed wisdom god oh yeah oh what is his what is his name I can look it up we'll look yeah. it up later anyway yeah 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 but he's go a pretty ahead. even keel guy yeah. too like even knowing that uh, and this is this is, this is some cold weather cynicism right there he's like I know the wolf's gonna bite my damn hand off but Here for the is. greater good yeah like okay Put the ribbon on him. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, there's a different concept of pain, like, and in, in what can be tolerated there. I. So, you mentioned the wisdom that comes with, with those different gods and energies, and that immediately makes me think of the chakras and, uh, and Hinduism, uh, the Vedas mm-hmm. in particular. Because. All of those gods and all of those mythological personas uh, line up not just with natural phenomenon, but with, like you said, the emotions that go along with them. Well, anytime I hear emotion, that for me, that's the, the love part and the fear part of my, my mm-hmm. personal theory. And so all of that comes out of the vibrational aspect. So what is emotion other than a vibration that we translate into consciousness? And all the chakras are based on colors, which are based on vibrations, which have correlating tones, which have correlating states of being. And so when you look at these, like you, when you were saying the, uh, <coughs> not the fates, but the titans. Yeah. Uh, the titans come from these these emotional states, rage, and when you talk about the the volcanoes and Haiti and, and well, all the, of that stuff, remember, the, the I titan, think that's where it comes in. The titans are the uh, are the older brothers of the uh, of the Olympians. Mm-hmm. The titans were all cast into Tartarus because they mm-hmm. were giants. First yeah. of all, we're talking Kronos and, and his ilk, Three, uh, right? well, Kronos's children. Yeah. Our universe's children, which were Kronos and, and something else. So, uh, it was like, yeah, that, Kronos I guess and how it Poseidon and Poseidon was a was an Olympian. He's Zeus's brother. Uh, you had a but that would make him a Titan. A universe yeah. and then universe impregnated Gaia and then Gaia gives birth to Kronos and the other Titans and then Kronos castrates universe. And takes Gaia as his wife, and then the Olympians are born, and then the soothsayer, who apparently just is there, like, the whole time. Because there's one. Yeah. <laughs> tells Kronos that one of his children is going to murder him, so he eats all of his children. Uh, but then Gaia wants to, puts the rock in the blanket and says uh-huh. that it's Zeus, and he eats that, and then Zeus castrates him? Mm-hmm. 
And he spills his seed into the sea. And then he guts him, too, and that's how he gets all the Olympians out. And, right. the, and then they cast the Titans into Tartarus. It's and then Athena, and, and etc. Fucking, <laughs> fucking acid trip is what it is. Uh, but that's a really late incarnation of what we know of all of those those characters. Because all of those characters can be seen in, in, uh, in pre-Vedic Text like if you go back to Sumer, so we we have all the Greek texts that come come around in what three hundred BC. Yeah. In that. Well, that's the Eve Ham- that's the Eve Hamilton story. That's the, yeah. the narrative. Right, right, right. Greek mythology in the beginning. So if we go all the way back, all of those characters come right out of Egyptian lore, and in the land of Kent, and the land uh, what is it, uh, Kemet, and Thoth and Isis and. Horus, all of those characters line up to, to a large well, degree. They were all trying to answer the same basic question. Mm-hmm. Um, why did the flood come and take all my food? <laughs> right? Right? Um, Swedarians, that's where we why, gotta get next. Yeah, why did the why did the pox come and take all my children? Right. Uh, uh, why is it that the corn grows better on this side of the fence than on that side of the fence. You know, we we have to answer. We had to answer these very basic questions, mm-hmm. and so we came up with kind of the same answers because our brains were kind of the same. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh well, the the lightning comes and hits the tree, and then the tree catches on fire, and then the fire takes my house. Right, and bad. Why did this happen? Well, right. clearly, I have pissed off the origin of the lightning. Well, and then volcanoes, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, pissed yeah. off the origin of the lightning. So now I got to figure out what is the origin of the lightning. Well, that's clearly Cecil. Like we make those leaps yeah. because we go by what we know. Well, I know that my dad, my father, is more powerful than me. I know mm-hmm. that the bigger guy is more powerful than me. He's going to take my cheeseburger and my girlfriend. So clearly, the things that control my life are more powerful than me. They are giant things that take my cheeseburgers, mm-hmm. and. So we were constantly trying to answer the same questions. So we have, you know, thunder and lightning almost always are the kings of the gods. The sun is almost always fairly benevolent and extraordinarily powerful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The older tradition... Uh, or the oldest stories as I remember and again a hobbyist and most of this stuff as well but you see the god of the harvest and the god of the hunt they tend to have the whole, the oldest festivals yeah see now that gets into calendar though and there's some distinctions there like when you talk about titans and harvests uh, the titans are very much elemental whereas gods of harvest are very calendar, you know very calendar oriented and so I think there's a lot of myth and mythology that ties into the calendar and the calendar being benevolent, and that gets into the the crops growing on that side of the fence versus well, the we, other side of the we, Nile. We, we, based had, on when the we, stars we had to answer these questions. Yeah. So, uh, how do we appease this deity? How do we appease that deity? And keep track of it. And, and yeah, and keep track because we have to know when they want what they want. Right. Uh, and so, we're doing. Uh, we're the the project is important, and that's what's going on. And now we've but we've mastered the tools to go beyond that. We don't have to make those leaps. We don't have to, to find the deity any longer. We can find the, the root cause. Mm-hmm. Now, if we happen to find a deity eventually, that would be hilarious. But, you know, 
Uh, we got words. <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah. With whatever you think uh, you are. I would absolutely adore to see... <clears throat> like, that That would be a great film. You oh, get, yeah. He's got get, a Facebook... She's got a Facebook cl- page you, now. You, you, like, you, if God's Facebook page turned out to be God. Oh. Well, no, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great? You got climatologists, and they're just like, yeah, we're doing the thing, and we're fucking discovering the thing, and we got the... Well, we know now that the... the the, the molecules get excited within the clouds and the static electricity builds up and it's super neat and it's all this cool stuff and then they get to like the end and they're doing the, the research and they find it and they walk in and then the big reveal and it's like, hey, how you doing, Zeus? <laughs> <laughs> you know? That magic Sorry, trick that was you quite wanted. terrible for no, the that's microphone. All right. That's all right. We got, we got compression. But wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, well, shit. That's right. like, that's what you should, you could title the movie that. Like, <laughs> this summer, well, shit. <laughs> we thought we were wrong. <laughs> we should have stopped there. And again, that's wanting to believe the magic. That's wanting there to be a dragon at the end of the, yeah. at the bottom of the dungeon. You know, mm-hmm. uh, to to use the old, you know, to use a D and D metaphor. So uh, no minotaur. Well, it could be a minotaur. <laughs> it could be a minotaur. <laughs> You know, uh, whatever, no dragon, but minotaur. Hey, look, wh- whatever your porn is, you know. <laughs> That's great. That's a big bar on the, the genre bar. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, on days and days and days, and especially if you get into anime, like that never ends. That never ends. I've got my head stuck in the uh, the shitty amateur porn realm because I've been stuck on Halloween and Comic Con jokes hmm. for a hot minute and trying to find a way to make that money that funny. So, obviously, I haven't done that yet. Yeah, well, that's what we're all trying to do all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to make it funny. Uh, or at least fun. That actually ties back into bullshit pretty well, too. Because ultimately, yeah. that's, that's what you're using to make it funny. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Exaggeration is the first term that comes to mind. Well, you want to convince somebody of something. and Okay, so there's this uh, professor at Princeton whose name escapes me, but he's a neoclassicist philosopher. He does a, a lot of different stuff. Uh, but it pretty much seems like he's fairly holed up on the sort of classic philosophy as we know it from film and television. Mm-hmm. You know, this very ivory towerish kind of stuff. But he apparently also has a great sense of humor, and Princeton makes them publish five times a year. Yeah. So he wrote this beautiful little book and it's a little black book and yeah. every single philosophy major owns it because they all got it as a gift by somebody who thought oh they're into philosophy this yep. will be hilarious yep. and it's called On Bullshit and if you haven't read it you gotta read it I actually it's... cited it in a paper one yeah. time oh, okay. <laughs> it's amazing. so you know what I'm talking about when he, when yeah. he talks about uh, having to uh, you know because there's two companions now there's On Truth and On Lying to go with it Oh, I haven't seen the yeah, online. Uh, yeah, the little gold book and the little black book, and I think online is gray or silver. But uh, but yeah, there's cool. two companion pieces to go with it. Because uh, he really explores this. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, as all of us have. Yeah. Anybody that's sat around and thought about it, right? Well, I mean, he kind of goes above and beyond. I mean, he's got the uh, you know, he's got the the platonic dialogues of bullshit. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Uh, but you know, so you're familiar with when he talks about like. Bullshitting is convincing someone without regard for truth value, mm-hmm. and that's what we're doing with jokes very often. You know, we're yeah. we're trying to convince somebody that something is one way, uh, in order to get them to follow down that path. There, there's a uh, a book that my wife got me when I first started doing open mics, uh, which was written 
by the guy who founded the Tonight Show, who was not Carson, was before him. He also invented the Man in the Street interview, but he wrote this book back in the 60s or something like that, maybe the 70s. And the title of the book, and my wife bought me this book after I did my first open mic, is How to Be Funny, because my wife is hilarious. <laughs> and he talks about how to write jokes. Uh-huh. Now, this is literally how to be funny. Like, this is, you know, you're not going to be a stand-up comedian. You're going to be the funny guy in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says that in the beginning, but he talks about you want to, one of the ways that you make a joke funny is to make somebody think something and then turn it to something else. Because ultimately, you're making somebody nervous. Laughter is a nervous response. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, whether that nervousness be from joyfulness or from something else, you know, whether you're barking, laughing, you know, because it's ha-ha funny, or if you're going, because <laughs> it's not funny, ha-ha, but mm-hmm. it's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what you're doing. So you want to convince somebody of something. So you're going to bullshit a little bit. You know? You say, oh, well, you know, like the, a horse walks into a bar. Yeah. Or one of my, uh, my favorite ones, because you believe something's going to be a certain way, you know. A uh, guy walks into a bar and gets knocked out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not a good joke, but that's the, the kind of thing that, that's going on. You know, why the long face? That kind of thing. So we're trying, you're just trying to get the audience to believe something. You don't really care if it's true or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't care if they believe it's true or not. You just want them to be convinced of it. You want them on board with the story, so when the turn comes, they'll go, <laughs> yeah. and, so, and that's, you know, again, that makes it a survival tool, almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't think lying is really the important thing. Bullshitting is the important thing. Lying just comes out of it as an extreme example. I think that's, that is very true. I, how about the framework of manipulation? That would be so Gorgias when uh, when you mentioned the Platonic dialogues, but you know when when Socrates and Gorgias are talking about what it is to not be a doctor but persuade someone that they need surgery, and so the how dangerous it can be for someone who has a silver tongue to be an unethical manipulator as opposed to uh, an honorable persuader. How does that? How does manipulation and lying? Equate in your mind, I guess. I I have to, but I haven't read any of that stuff since college. Okay. So I'm gonna be fuzzy on a lot of it. Just from an idea. Um, however, if you wanted to ask me my opinion on manipulation based on what I retained from reading all that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like manipulation is again, it's it's a way that we get other people on board with what we feel like we need to do is how it's a way that we force cooperation where cooperation otherwise would not be available to us mm-hmm. uh, now there are different degrees by which you can use this harmfully or not harmfully but there's plenty of times that I know people have manipulated me into doing something that was for my own good yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been convinced by lack of, convinced through lack of evidence that there are things that I should do uh, you know, I, I know that this has happened the reason I know it's happened to me is because I've done it to other people. Mm-hmm. Now, you can manipulate someone for, like, even to the point where in literature they'll specify, well, manipulated to your own ends, or mm-hmm. to manipulate someone to, like, we, we talk about the ends of manipulation, which means we understand there's a difference 
in what the outcome of a manipulation can be. Because ultimately, a manipulation itself is not imbued with any kind of morality or ethic. It's, again, it's that the hammer told me. Mm-hmm. The hammer didn't tell you anything. You use the hammer to affect your will in mm-hmm. some way. So if you manipulate somebody into getting off of heroin and going, and going to college, you've used the same tool as if you were to manipulate somebody into robbing a bank for you. Right. Right. And uh, I, I keep thinking of the example, uh, since we're piecing and, and, and parsing apart lying and, and bullshit and manipulation, the example that comes to mind is these bonobos... That definitely sounded like a wreck. Oh, that is not. Or that no, is, somebody's uh, motorcycle? Yeah. That's a cruiser. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, fat nice. boy. It's a V-twin. American. Nice. Yeah, there it goes. Um, so, so the example that comes to mind is, is these bunch of, I, I want to say they were bonobos, but they were some sort of not quite chimpanzees, monkeys, not apes, to be specific. Um, and they're in a controlled environment. They get loosed into this pen during feeding time. And one of these monkeys that gets to the food first raises the alert call and, and sounds the, there's some dangerous shit over here. Mm-hmm. Be scared. Mm-hmm. Everybody else runs away. And he's and just, just sitting there fucking eating. Right. So there is, there is some evil malice. And if not malice, there is a, a goal involved in that. So... That, how does that example in your mind fit in with what what can be called lying and bullshit and manipulation? Uh, that guy was lying. Okay. That guy yeah. was just straight up lying. He knew what the truth was. He knew that he didn't want anyone else to know the truth. And so he acted in direct opposition to the truth in order to affect a behavior in someone else. So he manipulated them, manipulation being a tool. Yeah. Uh, he lied to them. Via that, uh, via that manipulation in order to affect in them an incongruous reaction to what it was, as in running away from food as opposed to running towards it. Uh, I saw another example on a National Geographic documentary a bajillion years ago, and it stuck with me. Uh, there was, again, uh, they were looking at some kind of ape, and they were talking about mating and the harem thing. Yeah, yeah. So you have the dominant male, and he chases the guys away. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, apparently, uh, I don't know if it's... This is Robert Sapolsky. I'm familiar with I don't, this I don't stuff. know if yeah. the... Uh, I don't know if uh, all of the alphas of this uh, species of ape do this, uh, or if it was just this particular alpha had a quirk. Uh-huh. But whenever he would chase uh, a lesser male away from a female, he would immediately copulate with that female. Mm-hmm. So uh, this... Lower in the hierarchy, male is trying to groom this one female, and he keeps getting chased away from her. And I'll never forget it because I laughed so goddamn hard. Mm-hmm. And after a while, he so he, and you can tell like he's looking at the female, he keeps getting chased away from, and then he looks over, and he goes kind of to the other side of the encampment and starts trying to groom this other female. Yeah. And dude just comes running out and just and immediately starts copulating with this female and he right. runs to the other side and starts grooming the girl he wanted. Right. Like, ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I want this woman. You can't have this woman. Yeah. 
That's, and that's another great example of the alpha male is typically the last one to know. Uh, <laughs> and and they, they've demonstrated that in all kinds of studies. There was, my favorite is the one where they have these, these deer in a field and say there are 100 deer. Yeah. And they want to figure out how this, this herd of deer is making decisions. And so they put these cameras out and they're studying their body language to try and figure out what's going on. And they notice that as the deer are grazing, they randomly look at different watering holes. And this perpetuates and more and more deer look up at different watering holes as they get more and more satiated over the course of time. And so eventually, when the 51st deer looks simultaneously at a particular watering hole as the other 50 deer, all of them together go. Mm -hmm. No discussion, no nothing. And the alpha deer is typically left behind going, where did buddy go? <laughs> mm -hmm. Because that's just not how it works. Well, you know? Here's the thing, when you're king shit of fuck mountain, yeah. you don't... That's not your priority. What, yeah, your priority right. is staying king shit of fuck mountain. <laughs> right. It is hard to get up there. Right. Fuck right. mountain's a slippery place. And then, uh, I don't know, Robert Sapolsky did a lot of research, and I think some of the research that you were just citing there, uh, and went on to do uh, a, a, the next level of that study. They found out that those uh, beta females mm -hmm. and, and beta males have much more protracted relationships than the alpha male does and so these old these old alpha males will get run off mm -hmm. and then they'll end up being the beta males in these these other uh yeah, fringe yeah fringe troops exactly exactly and so the females will will partake in a similar activity to this male who's breeding <laughs> and, and and being subversive and they will go and they will mate with uh, with the alpha male, but when he's not looking, they will go off and be somewhere where the alpha male can't see them, mm -hmm. so they can hang out with the beta male because those two are friends and yeah. not just in this survival the fittest relationship, which is very endearing. Well, and <laughs> there's hope for all the beta males out there. If you can, we hope. If you can be a dick your entire life and still have someone take care of you. <laughs> You've cracked a cup. Right, you didn't ruin it. <laughs> uh, you know, and so uh, I read a, a news article in the English language newspaper in Krakow when I was living in Poland uh, that uh, was a, a translation and reproduction of another uh, uh, of another article from an actual Polish newspaper, or not Polish newspaper, but a Polish magazine that talked about these sorts of things, but it was uh, apparently someone had run some numbers, I don't remember all the ins and outs, but they tried, they figured out that uh, in a lot of these hyper-masculine cultures, like the Slavic cultures, like Czech Republic, Poland, uh, they, they start pulling these guys and they, they start figuring out that these guys aren't raising their own kids. And I don't mean they're being deadbeat dads. I mean they're they're spending their resources on somebody else's offspring. Interesting. <laughs> and so, and I thought and I think about it is like, look, if you're a prick all the time, mm -hmm. and you're a big giant, you know, mm -hmm. emotionally unavailable guy all the time, uh, then you know, you get you get cheated on. I mean, I I know these guys. These these big peck, you know, guys. Uh, all the you know all the the all the diesels and all the meatheads that I've known in my life. They all have uh, they have, well, all have a story of catching their girlfriend with something. Most of them multiple. Right. Uh, you know. And then they believe in accidents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, that is premature. You know. <laughs> Which is why you should never be afraid of menstruation. <laughs> Talk about it. Get used to it. It's, yeah. 
It's a it's a bodily function. Yeah. It happens. Be be comfortable. Be yeah. Comfortable. Be comfortable with it because uh, you want to be able to identify the bump. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, not all uh, not all of everyone is any one thing, but we can definitely uh, we are capable of so much. Just uh, but it's the same thing with these these subversive males. They're it's their legacy that's going the going along. They're shaping the culture. And this is the next step. Gen- genetically, you're, what but you the, just said is supported. But the uh, but the alpha is expending all his resources in order to keep it going, keep it yeah. alive. Yeah. So to the tune of like twenty percent less, yeah. like opposite. <laughs> like that's how bad he's screwed. Yeah. Now, and you look at it as now, you can do the the thing that that I hate that I believe that no one should do mm-hmm. other than as just a fun thing. That's a mental sport. Yeah, mental soccer. Okay, and then take that and, and make it bigger than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, the culture is moved forward by subversion. We have these conservatives yeah. that just want to keep it alive. They just want to keep everything exactly the way it is. Yeah. And then you have, you know, subversives. So now you've got conservatives, the conservative element of society spending all of its resources to ultimately lose like you know, the decline of the decline of racism over time like mm-hmm. no culture that has been studied to the best of my knowledge has ever gotten more racist like it always te- the the curve always tends towards without uh, isolationism would be the caveat i would throw into that because it with with national isolationism can can perpetuate now but that's another. But is that without? But is it is isolation taking subversion out of the equation? Probably not. What? Mm. Oh, splicing right, hairs. I get your point. Because yeah. if you're allowing if you're allowing the status quo to always have a hundred percent control, if you don't have the the subversive monkey yeah. humping members of the harem while the while the alpha is not looking, mm-hmm. you're not going to get the change. So it's just you're just going to intensify what is like what conservatism already has. You look at the Tea Party, you're in, you see an intensification yeah. of American fear-based paranoid conservatism. Right. My first thought is, can we affect this genetically or epigenetically or both? Just that's where my head is. So go ahead. So epigenetically, uh, I read another article uh, where. Uh, the the crux, and I think it was in the Economist that I read it because I, I read the Economist as much or more than any other publication as far as articles are concerned. Uh, but they were talking about they did personality tests, voluntary personality tests, the group, uh, and they asked what is your political alignment, and then they did a basic type A type B personality uh, test, and then they did a couple other things, and they found that. People who are on the farthest end of the conservative spectrum tend to be type A personalities and they tend to have this laundry list of sort of general fear-based dislikes. Uh, And the people who are on the farthest liberal spectrum tended to be very type A personalities. (laughs) And they had this different laundry list of like, fear-based dislikes Mm -hmm. and then everybody else was kind of in the middle somewhere and so I think that you can absolutely say that um, people are going to be attracted to a certain thing because they are a certain way like they've chosen a specific survival strategy yeah 
And so that survival strategy is going to attract them to a particular set of behaviors, a particular set of ideologies, a particular set of, you know, that sort of thing. A paranoid isolationist is way more likely to not want to be around people who don't look like him than someone who's chosen a completely different tack. Right. Who's chosen a, a, a wildly community-based form of survival. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think ultimately that's what we're trying to do. We're all just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And so we make up these strategies to do that. I agree. I agree. Uh, I think that's one of the things that we are in the midst of culturally struggling with is exactly what you just said, is figuring out how we take all the leftover bullshit monkey brain stuff that's getting in the way of us becoming this less worried and scared about some giant stealing our ham sandwich well, and the, our girlfriend. The monkey brain stuff is still going to be there because that's what's driving it. Right, right. So, But how do we get the monkey brain we, stuff and the we're solving real problems how peacefully? Do we, how do we bullshit enough to convince everybody else to try our survival strategy? Because we're currently trying the isolationist, let's elect an idiot president who says angry, mean shit on the internet all the time. Right. Uh, we're, tried that, we're trying that strategy. It is not working out as well as it probably could. Really? I, like, I, I agree with you, but I like to take the silver lining in that it is working because it's, it's what we... The United it's the part Nations of the mirror we is don't want to sending look at. delegations oh, yeah. to this country to look at investigate our poverty the, rates. Ooh, not only that, did you see the UN is also investigating yeah, the, the torture in prisons? Yeah. Yeah. So we got lots of problems, but I think part of CBA, you know it's like the matrix. Uh, it has to happen, and so it's us looking in the mirror, going, "Really, really, this is what we came up with." And so maybe we we need to do some. I don't believe anything. I, has anyway. to, I don't believe anything has to happen. I, I believe that. Uh, that situations occur one after another and then outcomes happen. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be this way. It just ended up this way. Mm-hmm. And if you nudge it a little bit to the left or to the right, it would be a different thing. So parallel timelines, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like you, and so that gets back. Well, I think what we have to do is we have to recognize that we have a monkey brain. We, we need to take this, this dichotomy that um, monotheistic, personal, reli- personalized religion has put in us. Mm-hmm. This idea that we are somehow a portion of divinity that has been given license over, right. uh, over this world of not that. Yeah. And start to understand that we, this is us. We are this, uh-huh. you know. And and stop thinking in terms of I'm outside of this, and start plugging our braids into the tree, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think we need uh, most is to to recognize that we are animals. We have animalistic desires. We want to accumulate resources to the detriment of our environment if necessary. Beavers fuck up ecosystems. Yes and no. Beavers but are very helpful. But they also build a completely different kind of ecosystem in the yeah. process of right. it. Right. So, uh, Thankfully, the ones they ruin are usually shittier than the ones they bring about. <laughs> so there's a, uh, 
there's a movie called Assassins with Antonio Banderas and yep. uh, and Sylvester Stallone, and you know the story yep. that I'm talking about. <laughs> if you don't mention the codpiece, I will. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, when he's sitting up in the thing and he's talking to the girl and he's like, "I'm getting nervous. Tell me a story." And she says, "Well, this is a story about a little bird, and little bird." falls out of his nest and he can't fly and he's cold and he is sure that he's gonna die and then this cow comes by and takes a big ass shit on him and at first he's like oh and then he realizes that inside the shit he's all warm and he is you know and all of a sudden, he's warm, he feels safe, he's covered from the elements, and he starts to sing. Well, the cat hears the singing and comes and digs through the shit, pulls the bird out of the shit, and eats him. And the moral of the story is not everybody who shits on you is your enemy, and not everybody who gets you out of shit's your friend. Right. You know? <laughs> and so I love that kind of that concept. You know, that sort of, you know... Well, and, and beware the, the devil you know is but in the devil you don't and there's there's a lot of truth to that but I think what I take away from that and one of the ways that I would tie this in since I mean we've been at this for about an hour and I thank you for your time I don't want to monopolize too much monopolize too much of it um, but I I think that is why the truth is so important and why uh, and tell me what you think of this my version of Capital T truth versus lowercase t truth is that uh, has to do with rhetoric, and it also has to do with uh, rhetoric being the communicative tool that we use to persuade or bullshit ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, which is the departure that I enjoy bringing to the table from what most people think rhetoric is, because most people think rhetoric is some is bullshit that you throw at other people, where I think rhetoric can very much be bullshit you throw at yourself too. The um, best liars are the people who believe their own lies. I don't know, right? That's a great, that's a great... Yeah, my great dad said that to me. I don't know where he got it, but... But it's true. It's very, very true. And I think that's why I've been so enamored with the truth is because there's a want to understand everybody else's perspective and knowing that the only thing that capital T truth can be is a culmination of all the possible perspectives. And so if you don't see the perspectives from a big enough picture to see how the person shitting on you could be your your friend and how the person who is, is helping you, you know, if you can't see past that couple of chess moves to get monkeys lying about who's in danger and who gets food, mm -hmm. then then we can we can be disserviced by by a tool that can be as useful as as bullshit. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, uh how close to that is what you think of as truth? I don't know if we're on the same page or not. Uh, first of all, I think lowercase t truth is way more important than capital T truth. Capital, For most people everyday life, sure, sure. I think capital T truth is, is subject to so much <laughs> that it... Uh, First thing I guess I would have to say about that is that I think capital T truth is 100% subjective. Uh, it's, uh, there is no capital T truth outside of ourselves for us. Now we can agree on a capital T truth, but it doesn't mean it's outside of us. I do I disagree. What, uh, I mean, my, the sun and 
light speed and all that good stuff. There's some things that That's are hard the, and fast out there that I can see. Well, and here's the other thing. I think those are lower lowercase t truths, though. You think so? Yeah, because capital T truth is immutable. Yeah, I think the reason that this is all not nothing in that phase we nothing that we know is true is immutable. But it is. There Everything we believe is true is immutable. We believe okay. that our mother is always going to love us. We believe yeah. that there's a God. Well, several of us believe that there is a deity that looks out for us. So what can you believe? What that we is? know is changing all the time. We knew that Lucy was the first human ancestor until we didn't know that anymore, and then we knew it was somebody else. Mm -hmm. Those lowercase t truths are those constantly mutable truths that are, that are always changing with new mm -hmm. understanding, with new perspective, uh, with new information coming at us. Mm -hmm. I think those are the important ones, and I think that those are the objective ones. Those are the ones that we can't and what we do is we take those and we internalize them into these capital T truths that can't change and are and are are not necessarily rigorous mm -hmm. in their creation and they don't bend and so that's why we're broken so badly when a capital T truth is is really I mean that's that's why people have such a hard time changing fundamental things that they believe. Yeah, I, I think I see where you're coming from and I think we agree, uh, I, fundamentally we agree on this. And the reason I think that is because um, I'm looking at it on a bigger, on a bigger scale than that. Uh, because what you say that, uh, when you say that we all have these lowercase t truths and that's what matters because it's our perspective. The capital T truth is, is real in that we know that it has to exist somewhere. In that there is not a complete chaos you know there's no state of chaos all the time and the fact that we know that what we don't know now is somewhere out there is a capital t truth to me like that's capital t truth is the realm of thought experiments that are always being updated in in my world and so it's this thing to be attained but it is a thing that that for sure can be attained it may not be within reach and we may not ever get there but the reason that we all have these lowercase t truths and the reason we need to know as many of those as possible is because if you put all of them together, then they end up being something bigger than, than our personal beliefs. And I transition this out of not just what we believe, but also into the realm of science, which is never to be confused with this is what is, but science is the pursuit of what we hope to learn and what we hope to know. So as long as we realize that we're not taking any of this as hard and fast, but for me, this capital T truth idea is something that is out there to be attained hmm. in, in, the, in the same concept, in the same way that, that you know, nobody knows it all, but you can learn more. You know, and, and I think the way that we learn more is by uh, just by seeing it from, diff from different angles. Like if I want to know the entirety of this cup, I have to look at it in the round. And so... Each one of these is lowercase t truth, but all of these lowercase t truths put together would be some form of capital T truth. That's where that's where I'm getting. I think at. we disagree on a semantic level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are a couple of places that uh, that I really do think that we are disagreeing a little bit. Uh, in that, uh, I do think that it's there's a lot more chaos in in what's going on than than we often give credit for because we're 
by design we recognize patterns. Because we're scared of it. <laughs> uh, it's a lot more going on with, and I don't think we're ever going to find a big boulder in the shape of a head. We already have. What are you talking about? Well, several. <laughs> the Olmec in Mesoamerica. Yeah. They're literally yeah. giant okay. stone heads. Wait, I don't... <laughs> Sorry. Couldn't help it. I <laughs> See, this is what happens when you, when you speak carelessly. But the Godhead is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to find the end of the movie Contact. Like, I don't think there's yeah. ever going to be the holographic beach where our dead father talks to us. Yeah, probably not. Uh, I just don't think that's how it's going to go. Now, I imagine if we ever do find the Godhead, mm -hmm. that it will be built out of gluing together hundreds of thousands of millions of little pebbles. Yeah, there you go. Same thing. And so the minute we get that Godhead, we're going to look at it and we're going to have one more pebble... And we're gonna. Well, now it looks stupid. We have to take it apart. And I, that's why I think lowercase t truths are so important, is because I think that they are the things that we find. Mm -hmm. When we find the, you know, when the when they they fired off the uh, the the one experiment, and they found the Higgs boson particle, and they went, we found a pebble, and then they fired off the thing at CERN, and went, nope, that's not a pebble. Found a hole where a pebble should have been. Yeah. You know? Well, shit. That, that's kind of... Well, even that's kind of helpful. Mm -hmm. now, we know, now we know there's not a pebble there. And that's the thing that, that as we continue to build on this. Lucy was a pebble. Mm -hmm. And then she wasn't a pebble anymore. Mm -hmm. But now she's a different thing. Like, we know a different thing. And so the, the capital T truth can never be attained because it's immutable. Because it can't, it, because it's not supposed to be changed, or else it would be a lowercase t truth. Maybe not. And again, this is semantic thing. I'm yeah. using the very, I'm using yeah. very, very hard and rigid definitions mm -hmm. for capital T truth as opposed to lowercase t truth, right. which are the ones that are you know, that were you know, used throughout philosophy when they started talking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Kierkegaard coined a lot of that stuff. And I really enjoy Kierkegaard talking about truth because he talks about subjective truth versus objective truth. Mm -hmm. Now, subjective truth isn't any less true. It's just it's not necessarily true without you. Like, you're, ne you're very necessary. Well, like I said, it goes back to context, and it's because each of us can only be us, we have a unique perspective that no one else can ever have, and, and that only we can have. And in, in, in that, there is some capital T truth, in that no one will ever know your perspective as well as you do. And so there is some, some objective truth to that. Uh, the fact that I can't be you is a very, very immutable truth thing. I guess that's what we look for when we talk about soulmates. Someone yeah. who understands our perspective as well right. as we understand our perspective. Right, and that's kind of the goal of comedy is to figure out how it's funny up here. Yeah, how do I how do I make how it funny I... for y'all? Yeah, <laughs> because the yeah yeah it's never the audience's fault. It's uh, it's I, I run into that all the time. Like, how do I get it out of my head in the way that it makes sense to me that it makes sense to everybody else? Because. Like you say, this is very much a semantic thing, which I enjoy because it, it tightens up 
I think having these conversations is what tightens it up for everybody and that's how we all all learn more. And one of the things that we haven't talked about that plays into this for me is physics. You know, when we talk about physics on a really big scale and what we understand of the universe and how large all of that is. Or how small. Right, depending on how you want to look at it. But it it makes it very clear (coughs) that this perspective that we have is very, very limited. And that's one of the reasons that I enjoy the capital T truth as part of my philosophy is because it's a reminder that there is something so large out there that you don't ever get to you don't ever get to know it all yeah and and so it in a way it's a placeholder uh because for the record i don't ever think i'm gonna get to know all of it but uh but i'm damn sure gonna try and i think that's the the philosophical pursuit that, that we're all a part of and that i think that's where we agree is that whether or not you can get to the end of that road that road is the only road worth worth traveling but it also gets into like i said physics and then the afterlife and then all this other stuff that that is so big picture that most people i don't think ever spend any time thinking about it and i think that's one of the reasons that capital t truth is so far away for most people because just because you can't live it doesn't mean you shouldn't think about it or it doesn't mean you shouldn't try and understand that it's out there and and that's that's kind of kind of my take on it, but that helps me make it fit together better. Does that help it make fit any better if, if we look at it from a galactic standpoint or a universal standpoint? Does that make capital T truth any more or less real? Uh, well, I never, uh, I never meant to to I say that it, that way, to no. say that it's not real. Uh, I meant to say that it's it's less important and more problematic. Oh, yeah, like I would totally agree. Most people don't need to be walking around thinking about capital T truth because they need to be more worried about their perspective. The capital T truth stuff for me is part of the thought experiment that I do on a daily basis to make sure I don't believe in bullshit. Hmm. So I have to go, I try and go through everything that I know to be true. And if I can come up with all these other arguments that say, oh, that's total crap, you don't get to keep it. You know, you, you have to you have to be able to defend at least you have to be, you have to be able to defend all sides, and you don't get to go to bed with, uh, with, with bullshit. One of my favorite things to do whenever I start to think something, especially if it's something that is important, like that you know I'm going to base something ethical on or something yeah. moral on. Uh, the, fir- the first thing that I try to do is I try to think of at least five cases where it's not the case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Undermine it immediately. Yes. Uh, And as many times as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to do that. And ultimately, it means that I've got my my ethical and moral life is based on a very, very small number of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of those things is actually that I am going to believe a certain amount of bullshit. Just basically all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you cannot... You can't avoid bullshit if you don't have the facts that bullshit is obfuscating from you. And that is happening. If someone is telling you something that that they don't care if it's true, then there are certain facts they're just not going to mention. This is one of the reasons that martial arts has played such a huge role in my life, I think, is because physically this happens a lot in martial arts. The idea of the faint. If you're in a striking situation, mm-hmm. uh, or the the constant chess match that is any kind of of unscripted wrestling, 
where you're actively, like everyone knows the general score. They know what the idea is, but you're actively trying to go, well, I'm going to do this one, and then you do another one. If you don't, or, or movies that uh, claim to have twists, but really they're just poorly written. <laughs> like, okay, you didn't surprise me. You just didn't give me a crucial piece of information. Right. And so that's what, and that's what it is, is that the not seeing or not being given a crucial piece of information is yeah. why you're going to believe a certain amount of bullshit in your life. Right, right. Now, we can try to get all the information, but if there's an agency that's actively trying to take that away from Good us, luck. which there is all, all the time, because right. uh, there is the self-serving part of society is I want you to believe that I'm great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we actually call not believing ourselves to be radical a disorder. Like, thinking I'm shit, we consider that to be a mental disorder. Mm-hmm. Like, we call it a name. We call it depression. I'm, I'm terrible and not worth anything, and everyone else thinks that too. Mm-hmm. That's a broken personality mm-hmm. in our world. So that's what we're, we're trying to get people to go, no, no, he's a great guy. On his shit. He knows. Right. This is a guy who knows where the food is. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to do, and that's what everyone's trying to do. And so, they want you on board with with their with their idea of the world, and we want, I want you on board with mine, and you want me on board with yours. And so we're all constantly just doing a little tug and a little pull and a little. I'm gonna sit over here, and you know, when you move like this, I'm gonna move like this, and yeah. we're all gonna have these conversations. So there's there's just a certain amount that you're always gonna believe. How do I get around that? I I believe the bullshit once. I'm gonna do it twice. Just once. <laughs> you know. And remember, having a long memory. Uh, you talked about context before we started this, and you know, you said that uh, time requires a past. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if time requires a past, but we definitely do. Uh, we require a past so that we can see and we can see the future. And I, I, I have a number of, of service industry platitudes that I've been told over the years by by managers. So things like go uh, slow down to go faster. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I love that one. You know, this idea that if you take a minute and you do things with a certain amount of uh, volition, mm-hmm. that you'll actually go faster than if you just try to the whole thing chaotically. Uh, and then the other one was uh, use the past to see the future. Mm-hmm. Now, what this restaurant manager was trying to tell me was, uh, remember, we've been busy every Wednesday at 11.30 for the past six months. So maybe you want to double up your side work on Wednesdays around 10, you know? <laughs> right, right. But I think it applies to all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, so I remember the time that somebody lied to me and I made the wrong decision. And then when someone comes up and says, hey, we should go do A, mm, A kind of sounds like B4. <laughs> this isn't like B4, is it? Oh, no, 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 it's nothing like that. It's this and this and this and this and this. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. That sounds way too much like B4. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you look at the outcome and you made the wrong decision. Like, oh, shit. You know, uh, you know someone comes up to you and says, hey, you should, uh, you should invest in Bitcoin. Hmm. 
Well, my father, my grandfather always told me don't take wooden nickels. <laughs> Are these wooden nickels? No, no, no. They're totally different. They're 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 not like wooden nickels at all. They they have no government. They have no so they're nothing. Yeah. No, no, they're very very valuable. But okay, so if someone won't take my Bitcoin, who who goes to them and says, "Hey, you have to take it." Oh, nobody. Just everybody would. Huh. I don't know if I trust the world that much. Mm. You, you know, and that will pan out, and we'll see. And some people have, you know, Bitcoin, and those people may lose thousands of dollars that they've spent on Bitcoin. And uh, we may look, and then, and the next millionaire idiot with a bad toupee might be a Bitcoin mogul. We we don't know yet. But you make that you make that as you know you make those decisions in in life, and you augment them. Sorry, I'm close to uh, you uh, you augment them as more and more information comes at you. Right, right. I, yeah, uh, I think that is, <clears throat> that's exactly what's going on. And that leads me to history. Uh, that's one of the reasons that, that history is very important um, to go along with context. You know, when we, when we talk about time, my, my actual theory on time is a lot like uh, some harems, which is... Um, Time is the imprint of motion on the space-time continuum. So time is nothing more than a measurement of motion, which we made up the time thing. Motion just kind of happens. Hmm. That sounds like the sci-fi version of a, uh, what was that book called? The Prophet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is old school stuff. Old school it's stuff. a book I read in high school. And there's mm-hmm. a, a line in it that says, the moving finger writes and having written moves on. Mm-hmm. Uh all of your all of your something or other uh, will not reduce it a line all your tears will not wash away a word of it mm-hmm. something like I always get fuzzy on the second part uh, uh, just old school Tao Te Ching yeah. Zen Zen philosophy uh, which again therein uh, is the significance of history uh, and that's one of the reasons that I think this capital T truth has to be based on a multitude of perspectives because when you give the example of we, we know the future by the past um, or slowing down to be more efficient, um, we, both of those are examples of knowing everything that came before and having the intention to do it in that moment makes for a more complete picture, I think. It makes it harder or it makes it easier to make decisions and not repeat those same mistakes. So it's part of the process that we all use. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> which makes it not so special at all. I worry about uh, I worry about it being that cut and dry. I feel like it needs to be more nuanced. Because uh, the idea of, of uh, when you were saying that history is an imprint on the space-time continuum, it, it's, it's yeah. a yeah. permanence that that implied to me and I don't know if it's there in the rest of the, in the but that, that first set of wording mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it implied a certain amount of permanence to me that I, I don't uh, I don't care for yeah because uh, it nostalgia I think is one of the most dangerous things in the world yeah why is that uh, because it gives us this idea that the past was a certain way and that we can return to it Oh yeah, and there's a warm, fuzzy feeling there. Whereas uh, I remember, 
watching uh, Seven Years in Tibet was the first time I saw mm-hmm. it, and then uh, I looked it up and I started reading about it, and this, uh, the uh, the Tibetan monks carving things out of butter. <laughs> the, you see, in quick time, mm-hmm. uh, another, uh, you know, a more uh, like Ozymandias, the poem is probably like the most stark representation mm-hmm. of of what I'm kind of thinking about, which is that there's a distortion between the past and the present. Mm-hmm. We can learn from it, but we also have to understand that it maybe wasn't just like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that that's why I don't think an imprint is the way to go. Uh, I think maybe a ripple. Uh, a smear, if you will. I think we're looking at it from two different perspectives. Uh, I'm looking at it from the consciousness of the universe, like the the way that geology is written in stone. We may misinterpret what that says, but the imprint has been made in the stone. So I, I take the human consciousness out of all of that. that that's the mm. that's a whole other level. I feel like you might be putting it in to a certain extent. How so? Well, because the geologic geology is not written in stone. It's written on stone. Mm-hmm. And if and if tears could wash away any narrative, mm-hmm. it's Egypt, gonna, no, it's sorry. gonna be from. I mean, water is gonna <clears throat> wash away the geologic record. That's what. If the polar ice caps melted tomorrow, we would lose uh, just massive amounts of, of information. Just, mm-hmm. to me, inconceivable amounts of information mm-hmm. would simply be lost if the ice was gone. So are you familiar with the Younger Dryas and, and how that played out historically, the impacts over the, the northern ice sheets and everything? Yeah, um, I, I read about it. I didn't go in real depth with it. Um, but, well, that's the example that, that, that gets us to why history is so important and uh, why even our perspective has to be challenged. Like, um, so there were comets that hit two miles worth of ice sheets. Mm-hmm. The sea levels rose 400 feet. Um, we, we have in the geology now, we can see how the water wiped away North America. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the younger driest is that time period where it was getting warmer, it was getting warmer, and then for a thousand years, we were plummeted back into the depths of an ice Is this age. pre-snowball, or is this post-snowball this is Earth, or is this, uh, okay, so, okay, you're talking, 12,000 yeah. BC. I'm talking relative, like, within yeah. human history, okay. well within what some people argue is, is documented ancient history, but there's plenty of documentation there. Gobekli Tepe being one of the first examples yeah. of this. But we're, we're still, yeah. we're, we're so, looking at, uh, we're looking at Bronze Age mm-hmm. or Neolithic cultures. Mm, yeah, Neolithic, Megalithic for sure. Okay. But, yeah, so, so consciousness from that standpoint gets to be really, really big. And I don't think, uh, I don't think we're transposing on it when, when we're trying to, to look at history. I mean, we, we definitely, as a, as a filter and as a perspective incarnate, have to be wary of everything that we take in. But I think there are parts of, there are parts of time that are imprinted in in the, the history of energy. So on a large enough time scale, everything becomes energy, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so when, when we look at things on that level, that 
things like massive impacts that that brought about the extinction of the dinosaurs 65 million years ago like the that there is a written in stone aspect to some things in this world huh. there uh one of the most cynical and one of the greatest things i ever heard a uh a climatologist say on television was something uh and i'm gonna get the numbers wrong so the the internet forgive me for getting the numbers wrong. <laughs> Nitpickers. But it was something like every every forty million years or every sixty million years, everything on Earth that weighs more than more than fifty kilograms dies. Yeah. Like there's a, just a mass extinction event. Yeah. And like only tiny things prevail. Yeah. So to a certain extent, I guess yeah. Um, but is that? Could that have not happened as easily as it could have happened? Like, the the idea that something... Is, I just don't like permanence. I don't believe that it's helpful in any way. Yeah, permanence uh, has... Well, what's permanent? Like, I, I don't think you'd catch me arguing for any kind of permanence. Where would I argue for permanence? I'm sorry, I'm going over it in my head. I agree with you. I don't think permanence has any real place in, in what's going on. I feel like the, your end game is some kind of permanence. Like, at some point... Like well, the the end game of of your of your experiment is some kind of um, finding truth that isn't gonna change. And maybe I'm oh. misunderstanding you. Oh no, the the end game is that. Uh, well, okay, for me personally, like the point of all this, the point of me being being here and, and having these conversations, is just to accumulate information um, because I know that there is no amount of information that I can accumulate that will enable me to convince you of something you don't want to believe. Um, like, for instance, uh, your death is going to be wildly hysterical. It's Everyone's death is wildly hysterical from some perspective. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we have to believe it. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's not true. And so there are... There are these lowercase t truths that I think we should all be discussing and trying to learn better how they inform these capital T truths. And if I had an end goal, it would be to accumulate information for other people to review and decide if any of it's valuable. Um, so my, from a philosophical standpoint, what I hope to achieve is the, the whole learning to die well. Hmm. If, if we are here for any reason, it, it must only be to be ourselves. It can't be anything other than to be us. And I have no purpose on this planet other than to be me because the only thing that I can be is me. And the only thing that I can do is be in this suit. And so there are a myriad of choices that I can make that, that, go up, that come out of that, but they all go back to that eventually. And so you start looking at Buddhist philosophy and what self means and, and what consciousness is. And more and more for me, it's become a means of... Uh, I, in a way, being fascinated by AI and saying, okay, well, if you want to make the best decision possible, the way to do that is to have as much information as possible. Hmm. And so part of what my brain is doing right now is trying to gather information to process just so it can come up with more and, and more creative answers. Hmm. And then maybe as patterns... I think for me, maybe this will answer this question more concisely. What I consider to be knowledge is shit I learned 15 years ago that has stood the test of time. Like nothing I've learned in the last five years is extremely valuable to me yet. It's great if it's moved the benchmark and that I, if 
I adopt new information mm. and, and know that I'm wrong on a daily basis. That's part of, of what I think capital T truth is, is this constant progression of there is no destination. There is this, you will never know it all and you will never be able to see it all. But if you want to appreciate it, then you got to look at it from the biggest perspective possible. Mm. And, and that's kind of, that's where I'm coming from. Does that make more sense? Yeah. Uh, again, I, I think what uh, we ended up back to is just is just semantics. I it think is. we we it use is. different we use different words to accomplish the same set of definitions, which is yeah. problematic in and of itself. But something that we can control for fairly yeah. easily yeah. with uh, you know listening. Uh, yeah, I I think that we uh, we definitely have some very similar ideas to how things uh, how we would like things to be. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, it, and it may be cosmology versus you know particle, you know, because I mean I, I like I look at component parts. I don't think mm -hmm. any I don't conceive of anything out there that's really bigger than me, mm -hmm. but that's because there's no one thing. It's just there's a mass that I'm part of. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it'd be. Like if a spark plug was talking about the majesty of a car, you know? <laughs> right? Uh, it's you know such a and you know such a component. Now on planet Earth, we really are a spark plug. We're a component that is incredibly important to the movement of the machine. Mm -hmm. uh, in the greater scheme of things, we could be one of the plastic vents on the air conditioner vent. You know, mm -hmm. one of the plastic wings on the AC vent. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that may be, but it's still a component of something mm -hmm. so there's nothing really there's no one thing out there that's really bigger than us there's just a lot of things that we're kind of in the same mess with yeah yeah I, well and, and that goes back to we are connected to everything like we are a part of the system and and whatever part of that the system we are be it significant or insignificant is just part of the system and the system is scalar you know, we can, systems that are much smaller than us, systems that are much larger than us, and we're connected to all of them. So tell me what you think of this thought uh, that ties into that. To know anything, you have to know everything. Uh, or you have to know something about everything, if that's more comfortable and not an absolute. I, I enjoy seeing the world as systemic. So, uh, so, to know any one thing, you have to know a little bit about everything. Uh, I I think that's a more articulate way of saying something that I've believed for a really long time, which is uh, knowing shit is awesome. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> How'd so, you come up with that? Uh, you know, I didn't. Uh, Somebody just said... It's just been told to me over and over and over again since I was a child. You should just know shit, Jason. Like, you should just all of know the, shit. All of the people that have been the most important people in my life uh -huh. since I was a little child uh, have either verbally or non-verbally told me that knowing shit is awesome. <laughs> okay? Uh, I've never had a complete ignoramus impact my life in a meaningful and good way. Really? Yeah. I would now, argue that's what's happening with the presidency right now. Well, hold on. <laughs>
I've had a complete ignoramus impact my life in a meaningful way <laughs> that wasn't necessarily good. That's fair. Fair. I have had a complete ignoramus impact my life in a good way that wasn't necessarily meaningful. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I've never had both. That's understandable. People who know things, people who endeavor to know more things, have all had those two things at the same time in my life. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, some ignorant ass could be the entire shape and length and breadth of somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. And they may be very successful for it. A lot of strategies out there. Uh, and that's why I like seeing the world as systemic, as, a, as, as systems integrating into, it, into themselves and into each other. Mm-hmm. There's a systematic way that things move. If you, uh, if you break the balls on a pool table, it looks random and chaotic. And to a certain extent it is because there is no way that we're ever going to be able to say exactly where every ball is going to land. It doesn't have to end up in any way. It does end up in a but there's a system, there's so many integrated systems that are moving that around. There's the, the friction of the speed of the initial hit, how much energy is transferred, if there's this much space or no space or this much space between balls, how much energy is transferred from one ball to another, how much energy is transferred into a rail, how much is transferred back from the soft rail, you know, what are the angles, the geometry, what's the spin, there's, there's all of these things that are in play and they're systematic in their nature is in they're knowable because if A happens, B happens. But there's A, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, to infinity, mm-hmm. impacting B, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, to infinity, and if you get A4 and B2, you get a separate, you get a different result than if you have A1 and B7. Mm-hmm. You know, and now I've sunk your battleship. You know, uh... <laughs> no! <laughs> And so that's. So, uh, by the way, you ever seen two people sit across from each other using laptops and just think that looks like they're playing Battleship? They know they better <laughs> be playing Battleship. They better be playing Battleship, and they better be doing it over the internet. Yeah. <laughs> because if you're gonna sit that close to each other, you yeah. definitely. But yeah, that's why I like seeing the world as systemic. Is that? Yeah. It's systemic means knowable. Oh, I get it. Um, are you familiar with the super systems work that's gone into like um, the way that a city is a system, the way that the solar system is a system? To a certain extent, uh, I, again, have not, uh, since becoming a small business owner, I have not had the leisure time that being a hobbyist mm-hmm. uh, know-it-all is, mm-hmm. uh, affords. Um, now, if I could be a professional know-it-all, uh, and and be a guy who writes books about shit, then that would be different. And I, and I love those people, I do. Uh, big ups to them. But uh, yes, I I have looked at uh, you know uh, the ant farm sort of uh, sort of understanding of how things are put together. Um, how about the theory? The the guy that um, it's not really a theory, but this guy has worked out the math that basically demonstrates how um, like how heartbeats are related to the mechanisms of a system and the size 
of those systems is directly proportionate to its lifespan, the size and speed of those systems. Mm -hmm. So you can, if you know how many times, this, what this guy's formula says is if you know how many times a whale's heart beats, he can tell you how big it is. Um, so the, and that scales up with these ebbs and flows that we see in the cycles of, of all nature. And mm -hmm. So it's a way to consider these systems in a, in a much more regulated fashion where it starts to look like, um, it starts to look like our selective processes for reproduction mm -hmm. in that we know the lifespan of the solar system is going to be this, and we know the lifespan of the galaxy is going to be this, but because of the way that a stellar nursery works, just like everything else that seeks to reproduce, then we can begin to make predictions on, on the reasons and the ways that the Milky Way and Andromeda will So it's, will so it's still phenomenology at its base. Um, but it's based in biology. So this would be the link between the phenomenology of a system and how that's rooted in biological data. Okay. Uh, probably wanna, I probably would want to read that. Uh, I, uh, I had a, a really uh, I had a really fun time reading Freakonomics for the I same love reason. Freakonomics! Uh, yeah, for the same shit. reason. Yeah. Uh, where he, uh, yeah, he starts applying these systematic theories. Uh, Which one's your favorite? <laughs> Uh, my favorite is the um, uh, the uh, Roe versus Wade decision. Oh yeah, versus crime rates in the nineties. <laughs> Why'd you pick that? Why? Why did that one stand out? Because I love here? dead babies. I guess you love I don't dead babies. Uh, because because uh, it reminds me of a Chris Rock joke. Yeah. Where he and I don't remember the exact bit, but he says something about take care of your kids so they don't rob me later. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I, I think remember that's what that one. Was. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, and again, that's uh, why I like I like a systemic world is because you can apply the formula. Yeah. And I and I don't care for math. I've never cared for computational mathematics. I don't like doing it. It's tedious. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I love, absolutely adore, uh, comprehensive mathematics. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, my mom still has a, a somewhere a, uh, a letter from a standardized test, the uh, the CAT test, actually, the California Achievement Test. Okay. Uh, and uh, it was one of the first uh, one of the first standardized tests given to kids mm -hmm. uh, in when they started doing that at the end of the eighties. And, it's, and it shows the mathematics portion of it. Uh, and it gave you percentiles. What were you in the national percentile? I was, uh, what was it? I was in the, the 89th percentile for math comprehension, and I was in the second percentile for math computation. <laughs> that's about, yeah, yeah that, that's a good spread, my man. That's a real good spread. Nobody's covering that over on you. Awesome. Damn. That's that's amazing. My um, I gotta see who's attacking me. On yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to wrap it up. I'll tell you my um, my testing limits and uh, all of all of my computational scores came out to uh, you get to wear blue glasses. That's how that's how well the system thought of me. Uh, yeah, um, I didn't have to take standardized tests after a while because I was fucking up the averages. <laughs> I wish. I wish. 
they had given me that leniency. Awesome. Yeah, well, no, um, that actually was a huge problem uh, in the uh, early and mid '90s. It was a scandal. Was it? Yeah, because uh, what they were doing is they were taking uh, standardized test scores, uh, and uh, they were uh, adding them to uh, they were adding them to performance objectives. <laughs> that's great that's great look at him go so you can see why I put the comment down there look at him go oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't even seen the movie yet and I get it that's hilarious but uh so that makes they, a lot of sense so what they were doing is they were taking your standardized test scores and they were putting them against your performance objectives well mm-hmm. I didn't do shit in school yeah like ever yeah. so my performance objectives were always just flatlined mm-hmm because, you know, the teacher would be like, do you have your homework? Was this the homework? You know? But then I'd take Go these... Sit outside. But then I'd, I'd take these standardized tests, and I'd end up in, you know, in English and, and history and in the, the humanities, I'd end up in these, you know, in the 94th percentile, 95th percentile. Uh, and then they'd give me the mathematics part, and they'd be like, two percentile. And then the computer is just going, fuck this kid. <laughs> <laughs> He's ruining the curve. He's ruining the curve. Because I'm not giving the correct information for what right. they were, and they had built a system that required a certain amount of a certain type of inputs mm-hmm. in order to make it work. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't accounting for B4. It yeah. was it was only accounting for B1, B2, B3. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're B4, then the system starts to break down. Mm-hmm. Which the other thing I love about systemic philosophy is how deeply fragile it is Mm -hmm. you look at something uh, you look at a systemic philosophy like phenomenology and how it can just absolutely fall apart with one whimsical like you have to be incredibly rigorous Mm -hmm. when you start and that's one of the reasons I think Foucault is so goddamn hard to read Mm -hmm. Uh, why uh, why Hegel is so goddamn hard to read you know because they were the forefront of figuring out you know how to deal with phenomenon Mm -hmm. and how to build something big out of small things and how to make something small out of big things Mm -hmm. and not be reductive about it Mm -hmm. and not be the the amount of rigor that that required. Yeah, it's it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing because you can get back to, you know, as great as those guys were, you can go all the way back to ancient Greece and, and even Egypt and look at some of the philosophy and what was called alchemy at the well, time. Well, the, the atomists come to mind. Yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. Yeah, they so, say, well, fire's made out of triangles. I'm like, well... You know, um, I can see where you would think that. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it, it's one of those things that it's, it's, a, it's a massive discipline. And that's one of the things that I think is so wonderful about philosophy is that... Um, you're you're welcome to try again tomorrow, in, yeah. in all circumstances. Well, specifically <laughs> like systemic philosophies, um, you know, uh, to 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 break it down to the uh, to the the base, uh, you know, to the sort of holy dichotomy mm-hmm. of uh, of philosophy, whether you're going to be Platonic or Aristotelian. Yeah, you know. Uh, the uh, on the Platonic side, you have this kind of idealistic philosophy. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, and then on the Aristotelian side, you have systemic philosophies, mm-hmm. and 
I think that those two guys, they really embodied those two things. And it was beautiful how it was about rejection. Rejecting each other so much. Yeah. Socrates loves me more. Anyway. Or this idea. Um, Socrates says, uh, the only thing that we know is that we know nothing. Mm-hmm. And so we have to constantly be questioning. And Plato going, fuck you. <laughs> I know. And this is how. And Aristotle going, fuck you, that's dumb. Right. It's like this. <laughs> you know? And so much of philosophy is that father-son conversation. Yeah. You know? And you ultimately end up seeing, and I mean, there's a direct lineage there. The sure. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, that's a direct line, mm-hmm. almost. I mean, to almost within, almost within each other's lifetimes. Oh, they were each other's teachers. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't like, oh, I read your book. No, it was I sat through your yeah, lectures like and you, helped you build you, a school and the university. You and... put stuff in my butt. Right. Yeah. Because that was Socrates common. and Plato probably. Because that was common. Plato probably not. It was but... common practice even then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Aristotle and Plato just weren't that good of friends. And they weren't mentor um, in yeah. the way Socrates and Plato were. Aristotle was rich in his own right, so he didn't have to be he, didn't, <laughs> he didn't get fucked. He, he, didn't, fucked. he, didn't, need, he didn't need the butt stuff. Right. Uh, <laughs> But uh, anyway, but yeah, this sort of you know you can see the former in the latter, yeah, uh, yeah. in uh, in a non-biblical sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, there's also this massive amount of rejection, which is fun. Now, when it comes to uh, Socratic temp- uh, contemporaries, I absolutely adored Socrates until I found Diogenes. Oh yeah, because he's way smarter. Socrates is kind of bitchy. Sorry, I'm stealing your story. <laughs> Well, it turns out um, a certain amount of Socrates is actually quoting Diogenes. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just like the uh, is mainly taken uh, from what's-his-nuts. All we know of Diogenes that I'm aware of, uh, and this may have changed because I haven't looked in, you know, 13 years, but uh, is from quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diogenes and Heraclitus. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, all we know is what other people said that they said. Mm-hmm. You know why that is? Because uh, homeless guys don't write as much yeah, as... because Diogenes didn't have a Plato. Because Socrates didn't write shit either. Mm-hmm. One of them had a better PR guy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is sad but true. I hate to cut this short, but yeah. uh, but we have a show to attend. So let's get some plugs out there real quick. If you're tuning in on Facebook Live, Back Porch Comedy, Friday nights, downstairs, open mic Tuesdays, throw out... All the stuff that needs to be thrown out on Facebook that I'm obviously forgetting, please. Oh, good lord. Everything Back Porch Comedy is doing? Uh, definitely check us out at the Olive Drop every Monday for an open mic. Uh, that starts at, uh, that sign-up is at 8 o'clock and it starts at 8.30. That's a really fun mic to do. Uh, definitely check out the Olive Drop. They got some of the best live music in Pensacola, uh, and hands down. The, uh, the drinks are great. It's a wonderful throwback 90s martini bar. Uh, downstairs we have the back porch bar and grill tacos are off the chain mm-hmm. uh, every Tuesday we've got an open mic um, and then every Friday we're going down to the show if you're looking for something to do right now we've got Andrew Stein yeah 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 from New York from I think New York? Stein men or just Stein one of those two one of those uh, two and uh, he's the, he's gonna be a barrel of laughs so you should come down and get a, two big scoops of it uh, we do every Friday, we do a showcase or a show, uh, and every second Saturday, we are doing a showcase or a show. 
uh, at the Olive Drop again. So definitely uh, keep an eye out for those. Uh, the last Sunday of the month, we do a showcase at Chizuko. Uh, definitely check that place out uh, if you're uh, if you're into vegan food. They got a wonderful ramen bowl there uh, and uh, sake bombers all day and all night. Uh, great place. Also check them out for uh, for live music, uh, dance party music. They do a great job of that over there. Um, check us out, uh, Back Porch Comedy on Facebook for all the information about all the comedy that's going on in Pensacola. Uh, we, if we're not doing it, we tend to post it. So uh, also Thursday nights at Shooters uh, from 9.30 to 11.30. Thursday nights uh, is, uh, is the oldest open mic in Pensacola, Matt Mosley, who's one of the funniest guys I know, runs Woo! that. Uh, other than that, yeah, check us out on Facebook, uh, Back Porch Comedy on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram, Back Porch Comedy on Instagram. Uh, we're Back Porch Comedy on Twitter. Tweet at us, uh, you know, and... Uh, Come out and see a show, and uh, as Tony and I were talking about uh, earlier, uh, support local comedy and endure open mic comedy. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. <laughs> I, uh, I, don't, I can't think of any plugs to add on top of that. I'm running through my brain. Um, I, think, I think you got them all covered, man. That's freaking awesome. So thanks for joining us. Uh, the replay, if you want to catch the whole thing, is uh, uh, check us out on iTunes, truthloveandpeace.com is the name of the shenanigans and I hope you will come back and talk more history and we didn't even get into Norse history which I need to learn from someone who's been there so hopefully we can we can do a whole Swedish Norse whatever it is because I don't know traditional history thing and you can catch me up on some of that stuff. I, you know I, I haven't read any of that stuff in so long uh, and also I was living in Poland so Sla the Slavic pantheon was the last thing that I was That's close enough. About. I don't know enough about that either, <laughs> so I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Awesome. Well thank you so much Jason Switzer. It's been a pleasure. Ladles and jelly spoons. Till next time. Truth, love and peace. <laughs>